Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, the personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 241, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. This is going to be an interesting one for us, and, and that's what's always so funny about doing the podcast, because you guys have no idea if we go away or not. And, <laughs> and so Jacques and I are recording part of this earlier in the day, and then we're going to watch the Mavs game, and we're going to come back. And we're going to see, does the Mavs season end or does it have a game seven? We're going to talk a little Cowboys schedule and then we'll see what happens when the actual schedule is released, when they're playing, who, because we know who they're playing. So it'll be when they're playing, what three game road trip might get thrown at them, all those types of things. But all of this starts off, of course, with our great friends at Greening Law, the attorneys at Greening Law. Again, it's simple, man. If you've been hurt in a car accident like I was, if you've experienced malpractice, if you are hurt on the premises of a business, literally my first call, and I've told this story before, that's true. Got had my wreck late on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning, whatever it was. And then the first call I made on Monday when I got home from the hospital and I took a nap, I woke up, I called Greening Law, 972-934-8900. I went through the whole thing with them and they took my case. And I'm telling you, man, they are your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. And I think the thing about it is it didn't cost you a single solitary dime. They took you on as a client, and then, you know, from what Matt says, they walk you through the process. All the stuff you thought you knew that you should have known that you don't, they handle it all. And to me, that's what makes the green team somebody you should call if you're ever in an unfortunate situation like this. Yes, it is definitely, definitely who you need to call. And again, as you said, the consultation's free. It's super easy. Super easy to do. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. All right. So the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns, they are going to Game 7 Sunday afternoon in Phoenix for winner take all, man. The Mavs are one game away from the Western Conference Finals after a blowout win at home over Phoenix in game six, one of those types of games, 113 to 86, the final. So the Mavs won one game after losing by 30. The Mavs win by 27. <laughs> this is, a, I'm just asking, dog, off the top of my head, have we had a, has nope. every series been, they've all been by double digits? You had one game, the first game was decided by seven that, that Phoenix won, but that was not very competitive at all. And then game three, the Mavs won by nine. But again, you know, game two, Phoenix won by 20. Game four, the Mavs won by 10. Then the Phoenix by 30. Then the Mavs by 27. And, and really, even with those two games, the closer scores, it, it really wasn't that competitive. This has been the most oddly non-competitive series while <laughs> being tied going into a game seven. And, and quite honestly, it's because neither team has played worth the shit on the road. I mean, it's like they go into the other team's buildings and they can't figure it out. Nah, and um, I'm going to say this, bro. That's all I'm going to say. Despite the scores, it feels like, you know, the Mavericks were in the game until the fourth quarter the other day. They withstood the early charge, and they were they were basically up most of the first half before fading at the end. 
you know. And so I think they'll have they'll enter the fourth quarter with a shot, and then it's just a matter of whether they learned anything from the other night, or whether they uh, they let Phoenix pull away. I hope so, man. Because I mean, even tonight was really weird, and you keep hearing this whole thing. Like Chris Paul, you just kind of wonder if he's done. And this is now the fourth consecutive game where Chris Paul has been an absolute non-factor. And you you look at the final stat line for Chris Paul. He only had 13 points. He only had four assists. He turned it over five times. He had more turnovers than he did assists. And Devin Booker even tonight was off. Six of 17. He only had 19 points. DeAndre Ayton was solid for the most part. But it's been really, really interesting to see the dynamic differences between these two teams. You know, part of the problem in game five was the Mavs shot 25% from the three-point line. Well, tonight they shot 41%, and they only had two turnovers going into the fourth quarter. They ended up turning it over four times in the fourth quarter. Phoenix had 22 turnovers in this game. There's no way you can win with 22 turnovers, bro. It's impossible. Incredibly careless with the ball and making poor decisions on offense, leading offensive fouls. And uh, you're right about Chris Paul. Uh, you keep waiting for him to turn it around. And, like, maybe this is – and I'm not as uh, savvy enough in terms of the strategies to know. Maybe this is just a bad matchup with him, with Finney Smith able to guard him some, with Reggie Bullock able to guard him some, with uh, Frank Nalinka or how do you say his last name? Nalinka. Guarding him uh, with their length and their athleticism. Man, he is 37. Maybe they just provide a bad matchup for him because he's – this is uh, – you're right. This is several games in a row where he's been average at best. Yeah, I mean, he's been a complete non-factor in a couple – even in the game the other night when the when the Suns blew the Mavericks away, he was a complete non-factor. And it's interesting. Luka rises in games like this, and he did take 26 shots tonight. He was 11 of 26. He only hit two of eight from the three-point line, but he was two assists shy of a triple-double. He finished with 33, 11, and 8. And he, the things he can do to affect the game, we obviously know how special he is. You saw Reggie Bullock, which I – isn't it weird that he went by Reggie Bullock his entire NBA career and then this year he wanted to be called Bullock? Hey, man, he finally got the, uh, the self-esteem to say, hey, you're not pronouncing it right. I guess it's like so. Dor- it's like Dorset and Dorset. Well, whatever works, man. I mean, it's it's your thing. It's your name. You want me to call you whatever, and that's kind of what the guys in the broadcast have said. But, you know, you look across this, Brunson gave you 18. Bullock hit some. I mean, he was 5 of 11 from 3, had some big threes at times. Even Spencer Dinwiddie was 5 of 7 from 3 and finally showed up, had a couple of big threes early on in this game as well. And, you know, all in all, man, the Mavs. And, but, the, again, we saw them do this in games 3 and 4, and then they go to Phoenix, and it's like they forgot how to play basketball. I'm telling you, man. I mean, I ain't breaking no news here. The The playoffs have always been about role players because the stars get theirs. And on the road, your role players tend not to show up like they do at home for whatever reason, whether they feed off the energy, the crowd. It's the reason why the role players, they just tend to play better at home. They play with more confidence, uh, more swag. And so – if you look at the Mavericks, the way they've played, like Finney Smith hasn't given you anything offensively the last two games. And so you're like, well, maybe it's time for him to have a big game. Bullock didn't give you anything the other night in game five. He gave you a nice game tonight. So uh, the Mavericks have what they need to win this series. But Luka's going to play his game. And it looks like Brunson's kind of back to finding out who he is. He's been a lot more aggressive. He's going to play his game. And now it's... Can they find two or three guys to ride with them? If they can, they'll have a shot with two minutes left. And if they can't, they'll get smoked again. Yeah, and this is going to be really interesting in Game 7 because I don't think anybody – if you just go by what we've seen in the series, Phoenix wins by 20 in Game 7 because they're at home. But it also feels like at some point – at some point, aren't we going to get a game that goes down to the last 30 seconds where it's – like, I thought we might get that tonight, and we didn't. And I, I, the only reason I'm saying that is because at some point you feel like, I mean, these two teams, it's obvious they can beat each other. When are we going to see that all on display in one game? Is it finally going to be in game seven? Um, you know, I don't even know, man. I mean, it could snowball and go either way in terms of blowout. Obviously, you think it'll happen more for Phoenix than yeah. for Dallas. But Dallas, you know, I thought it was really interesting. And again, I don't I don't have the uh, the basketball knowledge to really articulate it all the time. But 
all we heard after game five was Jason Kidd going, you know, when we touch the paint, we're a really good team. We just didn't touch the paint enough tonight. We weren't mm-hmm. determined enough to touch the paint on a regular basis. And you heard Luca go, hey, it's my fault we didn't touch the paint. When we touch the paint, we're a really good team. And all it means is get inside the lane, and then you either got a short bucket and free throws maybe, or you can kick it out to somebody who's wide open for a high percentage shot. Well, dude, they were all in the lane tonight, and it showed. Yeah, they had 34 points in the paint. Phoenix had 44, but obviously they have DeAndre Ayton, who can be a real problem for the Mavs because they just don't have anybody that can match up with him. But to your point, it was Luka with the penetration. Jalen was getting down in there, and they made that that effort to do some of those things. And, and again, the reality of it is there's a big difference when you are a team that's going to shoot 39 three-pointers you can't hit 25% of them. You've got to hit 35% minimum. They did that tonight, hitting 41% from three. They hit 16 three-pointers. Phoenix hit six. And again, Phoenix turned it over 22 times. And if you're going to do that against a team that shoots those three-pointers the way the Mavs do, you end up with this weird-ass, lopsided. I mean, it, it was just a, what a weird game. You know, it felt like the first, the first quarter, I thought, okay, we're, we're going to get a game here. And then the second quarter, the Mavs started to pull away, and Phoenix just never really offered anything to try and get back in it. Well, the weird thing it was 41-39 with about four minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah. And then the Mavericks spurted on them, but it didn't seem – it wasn't like a bunch of running dunk. I mean, it was just kind of a weird pull away. And before you knew it, then they hit a couple threes, and you're like, oh, my God, they're up by 15 at halftime. And it, it just didn't feel like that, though. It, it kind of had a, a sudden move to it. Yeah, and I had a feeling if they could get, when they held it to 15 at the half, I felt like it was over. And it's Phoenix, and I wanted to think that maybe they could get back into this thing, but I thought it's still, just based on the way this series has gone, either one of these teams in this series, when they've gotten that lead to like 15 or more than the other team, it's not that they give up, it's just, it's hard to describe. And we've almost seen that in every single game this series. Well, tonight, man, you had Dinwiddie show up. I was like, oh, you, you decided bit, to make, yeah. an appear- make an appearance tonight. Uh, I liked the way he hit his first three because it was a rhythm yep. three, and then he came down and hit another one that was kind of a rhythm three. And so he found a little bit of a shooting stroke. And, uh, you know, he's been essentially missing this entire series, and they've done well to get it to, to uh, seven games without him. Uh, so if he could show up and Finney Smith show up offensively and maybe Bullock chip in, and then you get lucky with a Maxi Kleber or a Bertans uh, having a big night. And I say it because we all know what Luke is going to do. It gives him a shot. I don't think uh, anybody side out, outside the people in their private jet uh, to Phoenix will think that the uh, Mavs will pull it out. But they got to punch a shot, man. They just got to play a really good game because all the pressure remains on Phoenix. Yeah, and, and, and it, it does. This is Phoenix trying to get back to the NBA Finals for a second consecutive year. It's Chris Paul. This is supposed to be the year for Chris Paul to get over the hump. Phoenix was the best team in the NBA. They had eight more wins than anybody else in the NBA. And, I mean, to your point, reality of it is we all thought, okay, man, if the Mavs can just win a playoff series, you know, and then we'll see what happens in the second round. There were no expectations of a Western Conference Finals trip this year. None nah, for me. Dude, it's one game away. And now you're sitting on the brink of that, and you just wonder. This is one of the weirdest playoff series I can recall, especially in Mavs history, because I, I like I'd have to go back and look. Maybe it was only 19 points in game one, but I want to say in every single game, at least one of these teams has had a 20-point lead at some point. You know, um, you know, I, I got to say, last year's series was weird just because the road team kept winning. Yeah. Uh, and the home teams couldn't win. So, I mean, that was a, a weird series. But I think, uh, you know, it's the same thing. You didn't think the Mavs had much of a chance in uh, game seven last year because of Kawhi and Paul George. And now, uh, just because Phoenix has been the best team all year, it's it, it doesn't feel like they have a good shot. But strange things happen in game seven. But what they got to do is show up and hang around long enough to let the pressure shift to the Suns. And uh, make them have some lemon booty. Make them make, have some anxiety. A uh, little pucker. I, mean, I, I hear what you're doing there. A little sphincter <laughs> puckering. There you go. That's what you're talking about. Nah, that's what it's all about, man. You're trying to put some pressure on them. Um, like I said, if you can get it to the fourth quarter, the pressure's on the spur. I mean, it's on the Suns. Yeah, and you know, this has been a really interesting series because, yeah, Luka was really, really good tonight. 
But like I said, he still had, it, it took him 30 or 26 shots for his 33 points. You go back to like game one when he was 15 of 30, had 45 points. Game two, he was 13 of 22, had 35 points. And these last four games, he's put up some numbers, but he's taken a lot of shots to get to those points. And he had a lot of shots tonight that he had open looks and he just missed. And you, you just kind of wonder, is Luca about to have one of those games where he kind of reverts back to where we've seen him go before, a 40-plus point game where he's just on and is hitting, you know, whatever it is, 7 of 11 out of the three-point line and, and, and just getting everybody involved because he thrives so much the higher the stakes and the bigger the stage. In Game 7 with the trip to the conference finals on it is a pretty damn big stage. The uh, thing about Luka is you know he'll show up. You don't always know that about people, man. You know, he, he's got big ones. So he will show up and he'll turn in a quality of performance. The question will be, you know, just is it good enough? But I don't have any doubt that he'll show up. He'll score his 30. Uh, and what you hope is that he can be an efficient 30 uh, as opposed to what he's been the last couple of games, which is highly inefficient. Yeah, and, and again, you, you look at that because you go back to game one when, and again, this was a game, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was 18 or 19 point lead that Phoenix had going into the fourth quarter. Luca had 45, 12, and 8, but Brunson only had 13. Dorian Finney-Smith had 15. That was the game Maxi Kleba hit those five threes, but there just wasn't enough going with Luca in game one to make it a game, and they didn't play the type of defense that they played tonight. Phoenix only turned it over nine times in that game, and they shot over 50% from the field, hit 11 threes. The defense the Mavs have played at home has really seemed to frustrate Phoenix, and they've got to find a way to translate that and take that level of defensive intensity and that, and that type of frustration of Phoenix. They've got to take that on the road in Game 7. Dude, that's been a struggle for them all year, even though they've been a good team all year. I mean, they did win 52 games. Um, they've they've had a terrific season, but if you look at the stats, man, uh, at home they gave up somewhere around ninety five points a game, I think. On the road, it's like a hundred and eight, something like that. Uh, but the point being, it's a lot more points they're giving up on the road than at home. They've had some troubles with their defense like that. Here's the thing for the Mavericks, though, and here's what Jason Kidd is going to say. He's going to say, we've shown in these three home games that we can play defense well enough to hang with, with them and hold them under 100 points. If we can hold them under 100 points in Phoenix, we win, we'll go to the conference championship. And that, fellas, is just about defense, moving your feet, and how bad do you want it. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, can they get it done? Can they guard without fouling like they've done the last couple games, frustrate Phoenix, and uh, get to the conference championship? It's exciting. I mean, it is exciting to think that we could be doing a podcast on Sunday night talking about a Western Conference Finals trip for the Dallas Mavericks to, and, and I would have thought, I would have thought to take on Golden State, but Golden State the other night, they turned it over 22 times and they got their, the fact that a Steph Curry and Clay Thompson team was down by 55 points at any point in their playoff careers was just hard to fathom the other night. Hey, bro, they are on the wrong side of 30 now. Clay's coming off a couple major injuries. I know. Steph is still great, but the descent has begun just a little bit, and this is what happens when it does. Yeah, I, I still have a hard time believing that, that a non-John Morant Memphis team is going to win three in a row against Golden State, but we'll see. But we'll see what the Mavs do, man. I, I will say this about Phoenix. I didn't realize how dirty that team is. I didn't realize how dirty Jay Crowder was. I mean, uh, let's be honest. I mean, Jay Crowder, the other night, he throws Luka down to the floor. They don't call a foul. Right there at the end of the game, he threw, I forget who it was, he throws somebody into Chris Paul, and it's a foul think, on the Mavs. I think it was Talinka. It was Talinka, yeah, because the blue shoes, yeah. whatever his name is. And, man, and I'm just sitting there going, how is he, he, he's taken a couple of shots. Like, one time he got called for a foul, and he fouled Luka, and he stuck out his leg, like, intentionally trying to trip him. I'm like, this guy's a douche, man. And Devin Booker, and I, I'm sure people watch Luka play that are not Luka or Mavs fans and think he's whiny and a little no, whiny guy, and I he get is. it, but Devin Booker is just as bad. He <laughs> is, man. He Devin Booker, every time he drives a lane, like throws his hand, his head back like he, ah! 
<laughs> I'm like, God, man. I mean, the, that's one thing that the NBA, I, I've noticed, and, and this is a recent years thing, it feels like, has gotten way whinier. I mean, you remember the old-time Spurs. Like, Ginobili and Parker and Duncan used to bitch about if somebody drove by them and breathed on them, they'd throw a fit. <laughs> well, Luca pretty much does it. Well, sometimes. <laughs> no, you're, and I will agree. I mean, Luca bitches at the refs way too much. Like, even the thing that drives me crazy about Luca, and I keep hoping that he'll mature out of this at some point, is he will he, he'll bark at a referee, make his point, and then go down, score a bucket, and turn back around and start barking at the referee again about a call from 20 seconds ago or something. Well, he's just got to learn, you know, that you say it, they get it, and you keep it moving. He hadn't learned that yet. Yeah, I guess not, man, but it, it's what it is. So I don't. I haven't seen the time for Game Seven. I was trying to see if I could find it exactly when it'll be on Sunday, but I would imagine it's got to be the afternoon, right? Yeah, I would think so. I would think it's like that prime window, especially since Miami closed out their series, so there is no. They don't have to worry about anything for that for the Miami series. Still says to be determined on time, but I, man, if I if I was guessing, I would think it's like a two thirty tip, maybe three thirty. I was looking one more spot, but I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but Game 7 on the way. The Mavs and the Suns on Sunday afternoon. A trip to the Western Conference Finals is on the line. And I've said it, man, if they can knock off Phoenix, if they can get past the Phoenix Suns, all of a sudden we're talking about a team that can potentially win an NBA championship. They certainly won't be, uh, they certainly won't be scared of anybody who's left. Uh, they've all had they've had success against all the other teams that are left in the field Um, so yeah I mean plus if you knock off the uh, the best team in the west you win a game seven on their court you're going to believe that you can do anything and so dude this is a this is a crossroad moment for Jason Kidd as a uh, as a basketball coach and a Mavericks as a franchise yeah so we'll see how it goes on Sunday. Can't wait to do that podcast. Although, and I got to say, even if they lose, as long as it's close and they don't get their ass kicked again, like they have been in Phoenix, I think I can take that and be like, man, they pushed the best team in the NBA this season to the brink. And that, that's that got to fuel those fires. They've got some pieces. But obviously, we'd rather be talking about a win because that would just be badass. That, that would just be incredible if they make the Western Conference Finals. And Luka's only 23 years old. <laughs> No, they got they got a real shot, man. They just got to uh, they just got to play their game and see where it goes. Because remember, they've now won three out of four, and um, you know it's going to take a big effort, but it doesn't take a superhuman effort. It just takes you playing your best game, and um, if you do that. You got a superstar who can go win it for you at the end. All right, so before we take this trip around the block, let's tell you about JR and all of his guys, the crew over at Freeway Tire Shop that will take care of you, all of your car and mechanical needs. I mean, general mechanic work, oil changes, alignments, tires, or any of the work that Jacques has had done to all six of his cars. (laughs) I swear, like, JR, it's like you're almost there every week hanging out with JR because you trust the work that he does. No, nah, that's uh, that's exactly what it is, man. Matter of fact, I got to take one for another inspection at some point in the next few days. Amazing. But, but uh, the thing about Jr. is, man, the work is great, but it's the trust factor, man. You trust him to diagnose the problem, which is all you ever want from a mechanic. You can trust him to fix it with quality parts. You can trust him to charge you a fair freaking price. And then finally, man, he stands by his work, so you can trust him that he'll do that. That's why I roll with Freeway Tire. That's why JR is the man. That's why you, anywhere around DFW, should take your car to JR. It's the easy thing to do, man. It's, it's just north of downtown Dallas. Very easy to find. He'll get you taken care of. You can request a quote, schedule an appointment online at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, Bruce Biltong making this possible. We're the only podcast that Bruce has ever worked with. We're still the only podcast that Bruce has ever worked with. Bruce Biltong, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. If you haven't ordered your Bruce Biltong yet, do it right now. Go online to BruceBiltong.com. Pick out, I don't know, maybe you want the snack bags, the little two-ounce bags. They're 240 in calories, 30 grams of protein. And the thing of it is, man, it's good. Like, it's really, really good. <laughs> like, I'll order the seven-ounce, or maybe it's the eight-ounce bag, whatever it is, and I have to tell myself, okay, put this down because it's that. Like, I, I can eat a whole bag at once probably. Dude, the thing about it for me, it's a great midday snack, man. If you're trying to watch your weight a little bit, 30 grams of protein, 240 calories in a little bitty bag, you get the big bag. Hey, you need more. 
But uh, I love it in the afternoon. It's a great snack, and it's tender, it's succulent, it's juicy. It's not at all what you think beef jerky would be because it's not. It's close, but they're like cousins. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because it's not beef jerky. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat, and it's better. It really is. And the best thing, you get to have it for 15% off. Because we're the only podcast that he works with, and you guys have always responded so well and continuing to support us and trying out things like Bruce Biltong, you get 15% off every time you order at bruisebiltong.com. Promo code JAM15 at checkout. J-A-M-15 at checkout, and you get that 15% off. Oh, is that a wind chime? What is that? Oh, that's my uh, that's my text messages going oh. off sometimes. I was like, "Beetle do." I was like, "Man, did you get a wind chime?" I was like, "Surely not." Wind chimes are weird. Are you? Would you ever get a wind chime? Yes and yes. Um, I have a special place in my heart for wind chimes. Uh, one because I grew up on Wind Chime Drive. Real. In, Look uh, at that in uh, in Oak Cliff. Uh, okay. Spent my formative years of my life on Wind Chime Drive. And then, um, secondly, man, my aunt sent me a wind chime about uh, probably two years ago. It took me a year to put it up, and then she died suddenly last July. Wow, man. See, hmm. this took a turn for it worse. Well, I, I but, mean, in but, a sense. But I, I didn't mean me like that. But basically, uh, you know, so when I see wind chimes, I think of growing up and the great time I had growing up. And then, uh, then I think of her now. Well, that's kind of cool, though, the, the fact that you have that memory with it. And, you know, I, I, I don't know why I just thought about that, because it does kind of have like a wind chime kind of sound to it, that noise. No, it does. It does. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things like wind chimes can be, I, I feel like there's certain ones that can actually be in almost peaceful in a sense. And then there's other ones that can drive you insane. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Or if you ever go to a store that sells them and they've got like a hundred of them and you just walk through and it's like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would drive you crazy. Yeah. So I guess it, we're in the midst of the trip around the block in a sense. And, and I thought this was interesting. I came across this story and this is one of those things that I don't know what I would do in this situation, but a plane landed at Palm Beach International Airport in Florida after a possible pilot medical issue happened in the air this was a single-engine Cessna 208, essentially a private plane, and one of the passengers landed the plane after calling air traffic control and being talked through how to land the plane because the pilot had gone incoherent. Oh, my. I, don't, I mean, somebody got to take that assignment. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? So apparently, according to the air traffic control log, a passenger gets on the headset and says, I've got a serious problem here. My pilot has gone incoherent. I have no idea how to fly the airplane. Jeez. And so this air traffic controller basically guides them through the steps to, to descend and land, starting with, okay, try to hold the wings level and see if you can start descending for me. Push forward on the controls and descend at a very slow rate. <laughs> but, uh, dude, that's... Like, how would I you mean, even I, know? Well, that's what I'm saying. What do you mean if I keep the, keep the wings level, dude? I, was like, and, I, I think they are. You know? What is a slow rate? I know, know that's what I would be saying. Like, how do I guarantee this? Because you're so scared and you got so much uh, adrenaline going. I don't know how you would do it slow. Yeah, man. I mean, you got to think that is absolutely insane. Yeah, your heart rate's probably going, uh, what, 175, 190 beats a minute? Yeah, you would think so, man. Like, you, you, I would be spazzing out, trying to be calm. But, I mean, I guess the, the alternative is you're dead. You're just going to crash. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah, either you yeah. take this chance, and I'm going to do the best I can and then talk me through this, or we're going to fall out of the sky anyway. Yeah, true that. That's that's uh, that's meant to put a realistic spin on things. So I mean, it's what it is. And, and I appreciate that. They say that other pilots, of course, that were in the air were like, what? The passengers are landing the plane and they couldn't believe it and all this. And I mean, that's just, I, I don't know. And apparently he said the, the air traffic controller that helped the guy land said it felt really good to help somebody. And the passenger told me he couldn't wait to get home and hug his pregnant wife. Like, God, oh, wow. man. Oh, yeah, man, that just seems like harder. The only thing I can think of is maybe because so many of us have grown up in a video game age. Yeah. The way they talk it to you, you can kind of say, well, it's kind of more like a simulation of video game. You have some osmosis-like feel for how to do it. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because certain little things like this, you always, it, it's almost a what-would-you-do scenario. 
you know, what would you do now in a situation like that? If it, you may not have a choice where, okay, you have to at least try, but did you see this other video that's, that's gone viral out of Florida, out of Boynton beach, where apparently some woman had a medical emergency or something or an episode at an intersection and fell and slumped over her steering wheel and you see her car on the video just slowly start to trickle out into the intersection and all of a sudden this woman comes running up and trying to get into the car and other like spectators and people around run up and they they get the car to stop and then smash into the window to help her and i thought man like what would you do if you like i don't know what i would do if you saw something like that happening well, you'd like to think you'd help. The, yeah. the issue is always the first person because in today's world, you're like, is this a con? Is this person crazy? Yeah. And, you know, I don't mind. Well, I don't want to say it like that, but, you know, you die a hero in the line of, you know, you're trying to help somebody. That's one thing. You, right. You die because somebody was, was setting you up for for crazy killing. You, it's something else if all that makes sense. So I think in today's world, we're just a little more cautious. I think people love to help, want to help. Yeah. You're just trying to make sure you ain't getting scammed or hurt in the process because we live in a crazy world. Yeah, there's something to it, man. But that video, I mean, it is. And eventually, it's probably like five or six people. And apparently what happened, like I still don't know what happened to the woman, but the the original person who, who was chasing after the car was a coworker who was behind her oh, okay. at the light and saw her slumped over and knew she was something was wrong. And so she was running after the car, and then all of a sudden, everybody kind of... And it was going real slow, so they were able to get it to stop. But it's... it's. I mean, one dude tries is literally trying to punch through the passenger side window with his bare hand. Then did they get a tool or something? Because yeah. I saw them then, they shattered it. Yes, it looked like somebody brought like a canister or something over, and they were able to bash through it that way and get in, unlock the car, and get around to the driver's side to help this woman. In this video, I mean, it's got millions of views on it now, and they're trying to track down the people who helped because they want to honor them for right. reacting that way. No, that was a, that was a, you know, the, the blessing there was that the woman was a coworker behind her. Yeah. So she was, yeah. she noticed when, when she wasn't acting right, because that's what I'm talking about. Had that not been the case, then it just would have happened. People have been like, who is this crazy person? Are they high? Are they drunk? What are, yeah. you know, what's going on? Yeah, there could have been a wreck. I mean, who knows? I mean, the fact that they got through the intersection because the, the opposite direction was had a green light. Cars are going through the intersection. Right. And somehow she just happened to start going out into the intersection when there were no cars coming for a second. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is wild, man. And, and, you know, stuff like that, you see things like that. And I was trying to think if I've ever been in a situation and the only thing, and it, it's not even like this because it wasn't an emergency or anything, but I remember one time I saw these two young ladies and this is years ago, it was in a Target parking lot and they had a flat tire and they were sitting there and I walked over to them. I was like, hey, excuse me. I was like, hey, are you, do you guys need help with your flat? And they, and, and you know, I mean, in that situation, they it was daylight. There are people around, but still I would imagine you know, they're like, oh, creepy guy. Like, what, what are you approaching me for? It's like, hey, I've got, if you've got a spare, I can change it for you real quick if you want. Right, right, right. And, and they're like, really? And I was like, yeah. I mean, and they're like, yeah. So I got their spare out and changed their tire. And they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. We've been sitting here. We didn't know what to do. And like, I had called my mom and, and we were waiting on somebody to come. And they're like, and I just thought, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I know how to do it. It looks like you guys need help. I just thought, I mean, it'll take me, what, 10 minutes and you can be on your way. Well, no. See, that's a good Samaritan, Matt. Um, I think we'd like to try to help people when we're out there. I do carry around some uh, some jumper cables just for people. I did that at uh, AT and T a couple years ago. Yeah. After a game, I was like, "Yeah, bro." I mean, yeah, I've done that. Day. You know, you, I've had people that, "Hey, man, do you have jumper cables?" Or like, like, and I've had to do that before. Which now, generally, in my car, I will always travel with a pair of jumper cables in the trunk. Because I've been in a situation before where I needed a jump, and I was like walking around at a gas station. And, Excuse me, hey there, kind sir. Would you? <laughs> I, I, my battery's dead. You happen to have jumper cable? And yeah. it, it, but in today's world, so many people will be like, "Hey man, don't talk to me." Yeah, no, it's 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 real, bro. It is. So yeah, I'm like you. So it's a uh, that's the hardest thing about being a good Samaritan today, man. Uh, and I say that because uh, yeah, it's just so many creepy people out there. Yes, there is. And like I said, you know, sometimes you run into the building to save somebody, you you understand what might happen, but you don't want to be doing that in a building. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, it's just a crazy world, bro. It is a crazy world. But I thought that those two stories were kind of cool. The other story, and this just kind of—I don't know if you've seen this. 
but apparently this is coming to Dallas. And I started reading about this, and I was like, what? This is nuts. So there is, I kid you not, this is called Meow Wolf. Like how a cat meows. It, it is called Meow Wolf, and it is a Santa Fe immersive art experience. And they are about to open a location in the DFW area at Grapevine Mills. And they are putting it in what used to be a Bed Bath & Beyond inside the mall. It's a 40,000 square foot immersive art experience of some sort. Interesting. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Meow Wolf. Uh, does that sound like something you want to go to? I don't know, man. I mean, this is like the pictures because there's one in Denver. and there's, there's, So there's three of these across the, the, war, the United States. And they're about to open one in Dallas, and they're about to open one in Houston. And apparently, like they say, that the experience always starts in a known physical place and then moves into an unknown place. And that in Santa Fe, people step into the unknown when they open the door to a refrigerator in a regular home setting. And depending on the choices that you make when you're walking through and the turns that you take, you could do it 100 times and experience it completely differently. All right, that might be, uh, I might go, I'm, I don't know, man. I might, uh, that sounds like a good date to me after, yeah. you've been on, uh, after you've been on somebody the first date or second date because at least you're going to have a good time even if they're an a-hole. Yeah, it, it, it sounds really trippy, man. And so each location costs tens of millions of dollars to build and employs up to 200 people. And the average stay at the Meow Wolf exhibit is about an hour and a half, but some people end up staying for hours at a time. This sounds like, have you ever heard of a Mega Mart? Yeah, yeah, it sounds kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, which is all kind of cool, man. I think, and when you say it's immersive, I think um, hour and a half, but I think if you're the one of those people that wants to really explore it and examine it, you can make it last all day long if you wanted to yeah and they so the guy who runs this the ceo of this company says we all used to sit on the couch and passively watch tv now we're making interactive stories that people are a part of gaming and social media are a part of this he said we're not even worried about people trying to copycat this because the more people that are drawn to the category the more it will grow grow and the better it will become i gotta tell you man looking at these pictures like yeah i would be in for this i would I, this looks like something that, that would be really cool to experience no, I think you're right. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I forget. Did they say when it was going to be done? No, it doesn't say, but it looks like it would be. I'm trying to see if there's a, a projected date on this, but maybe not. It, it just says that this place in Grapevine Mills has been vacant since 2016, and now they're opening it. And I don't know, maybe sometime. Okay, next year, sometime next year. So it's going to take several months to build it out. So it's supposed to open in 2023 sometime. All right. No, that sounds cool. But kind of cool, I thought. It's kind of like a, it's like a uh, sounds like it's an escape room on steroids. Yeah, and some of those places, like the man, what the van, the Vincent Van Gogh thing that everybody was all about, you know, where you were like walking inside of a Van Gogh painting or something, and everybody wanted to go do that. You know, all these immersive type, like larger than life art things are are starting to get really popular because I've heard of a few of them. I think it's just another way to escape and give people a different experience. I think you know with. Uh, People are just 3D, the next logical thing. I mean, if you think about it, 3D is putting you kind of bringing the camera and stuff to life. Yeah. And virtual reality is kind of putting you in there. This seems like the next just kind of step because everybody's trying to give you the best experience they can give you uh, so that you'll continue to come back and, and patronize their business. So I think this is just kind of the next step in uh, stuff. I mean, I still keep waiting for them to put us in Madden. God, that'd be badass. I mean, you know it's coming. Well, and I mean, to be fair, like, because uh, like, I've gotten older, like, amusement parks, like Six Flags and stuff have zero appeal to me. But I think, I, I mean, I got to tell you, like, I would love to go to Disney World and go to, you know, they have the the Galaxy's Edge, which is the Star Wars realm of the park where everything, like, you're inside of a Star Wars movie, essentially. You know, and they have that thing with Harry Potter, and it's not like I'm a huge Harry Potter fan or anything, but I still think that'd be badass to walk around like you're in Harry Potter. Oh, Absolutely. And that was one of the things I went to Universal Studios. We had a family vacation there when I was maybe in high school, I think. And I remember some of those rides and, and I liked a lot of that better than Disney World because all these movies that you had seen over the course of years, you know, like you would do the Jaws ride 
and it looked like you were kind of on a boat in Amity or wherever it is in New York right. or whatever. And all of a sudden Jaws comes out of the water at you and you're like, ah, <laughs> but stuff like that, I think is a lot of fun. And I, I, I would think that there's more appeal to things like that than the traditional type amusement parks and roller coasters. Yeah, I think so, because, you know, you're dealing with a different generation. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the this is the kind of stuff that they've grown up with, and they just want more and more and more of it, as opposed to the old fogey stogies like we are. Yeah, like, now they've got that thing, Pandora, the world of Avatar that's opened in Disney. And I, I loved the movie Avatar when it came out years ago, and... Again, this is just like a submersive world that you're inside the movie Avatar just walking around. And, and they have rides and stuff that are based on that. And, and something like that has a lot of real high appeal to me. No, I think, um, you know, I like that kind of stuff. Like I did a virtual reality thing last summer and it was kind of cool. My only problem was it didn't last long enough. It was like 15 minutes yeah. or so. And you'd like to be, I mean, 30 or 45 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. Maybe that's a sweet spot. I don't know. I just wanted it to be longer, but all that kind of stuff is cool, man. So what, what was the virtual reality that you did? Uh, it was something at North Park, and they had three different things you could choose from, and we ended up doing, uh, as, as it would happen, some kind of undersea thing. But it was cool because you stepped on the platform, and whatever happened happened with the 3D thing. And next thing you knew, it looked like you were immersed in the water and stuff in this wetsuit. And so it was kind of cool, man. Yeah, it's interesting. Virtual reality is is a trip, man. When it's good, it is. I mean, it is wild. No, I'd, I'd like. That's what I said. I'd like to do it again, just a little bit longer. But you know, maybe they do that. It seems like they're all pretty short. Yeah, there's there was I'm trying to think where it was. It might it might have been like at main event where me and my son did a virtual reality thing together on a, on like a little ride and it was it was a short thing like you're talking about. You know, it was maybe just 5 minutes. But I had never done one that was like that to the point where I mean, and it was like a video game. It was like something about Donkey Kong or something. I can't remember, but it was I mean, I was like, "Holy crap, like you legit feel like you are inside this world." Oh, dude, that's why it's weird. I was thinking maybe that's why they don't do it as long just because your senses get all out of whack if it's if it's like that. Man, that's long. the truth. Because I remember when I was there during January or whenever that was, and I went to the media party for the, the AT&T Cotton Bowl that Bama was playing in, and, right. and they had a virtual reality blimp ride. And I sat down on that and put on the goggles and everything. And, I mean, that was trippy as hell, man, because it looked like, <laughs> I mean, it was like I was in a freaking blimp. And then you take the goggles off and all of a sudden you're back on solid ground in this room and you're like, whoa, this is, it kind of messes with your, your I don't know how to describe it, but it, there's something to that. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it's like any other sensory thing. If you, de de uh, what do you call it, deprive it yeah. or alter it, it's going to make you feel a certain way. Yeah, man. And, and that's one of those things where it's the future, you know, like Facebook going to meta and all that and believing that we're all going to have these avatars. And that's kind of what it is. Like we'll live in a virtual reality world where you just go home, put on your goggles and you're just interacting as an avatar with people all across the world. And you're inside this, this realm of reality that your brain thinks is real. I don't know about that, bro. It's crazy, man. I'm telling you, it's like that game. It's like that movie, Ready Player One. Jeez. I'm telling you. I mean, we are on the way to all of that stuff being a very, very high reality within probably the next 10 years, I bet. People will just have VR. You know, Oculus is fairly popular, but at some right. point, we'll have VR suits and whatnot. <laughs> Jeez. It's going to be a trip, man. I can also tell you this. I, I, something else that is a trip is that jam session bowl at Smokey John's Barbecue. If you haven't had it, you need to get it. Get over to Smokey John's. Hell, they just won Good Morning America, the best barbecue in basically all of Texas. They're going to be competing next week, I think, for best barbecue in the country. And it's Smokey John's that we've been working with and have been partners with for like over a year now. And they have the Jam Session Bowl. I done told y'all more than once. Take your butts over there, man. It's worth making a special trip if you're anywhere near and around downtown because right off Mockingbird, not too far from Love Field. Uh, but go, man, and get the Jam Session Bowl. Not only that, you'll feel special because not everybody will know what you're talking about Yeah, because it's on the secret menu. It is. It's not on the actual menu. you got to listen to the podcast to even know it's a thing. It's the Jam Session Bowl available exclusively for Jam Session listeners at Smokey John's Barbecue right there off of Mockingbird in Dallas. 
And if you can't make it and you're like me and you don't live in the area, hey, you can jump online at SmokyJohns.com. Click on Smokey's Market. You can order the barbecue sauce. You can order the rub. And you can enjoy it wherever and whenever you want to because they will ship it right to you. It's Smokey John's. Man, they're, they're really good people. And I'm telling you, the barbecue is phenomenal. So make sure that you check that out at Smokey John's. So we move forth here and we will have a stars conversation a team that I think it's becoming more and more apparent. Like, and again, we talked about this after the last game and they were up two to one in the series. Calgary comes out and really just has their way with them in game four to tie the series. And then last night was a really weird game in game five because Dallas, it wasn't like they were the better team, but again, Jake Ottinger has just been so freaking good and defensively they'd been so solid that he was keeping them in the game. And all of a sudden, Jason Robertson gets on the board, and the Stars are up one nothing. and you're like, oh, oh, here we go. Maybe they're about to go up 3-2 on the road in Calgary. And then lo and behold, Calgary, it's, it's almost like they're like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> like, we're well, better than them. Come on. And they just turned it on in the third port period and smoked them. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to – say anything bad about Ottinger because he's been terrific. I thought the second goal, I was like, eh, was it a – that one looked kind of savable unless, yeah, unless he just never saw it. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's – I mean, dude, that's why Calgary's Calgary. Uh, the Stars aren't the better team. It's being – I would say it's a series that's being played at the – I don't want to say the Stars' pace because they haven't – you know, but whatever. I haven't – here's what I'm trying to say. I haven't felt like Calgary is a – Big enough, you know, like they are uh, as far ahead of the stars as they should be. No, it hasn't felt that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been. It feels like better. they're a neck and neck series, is what I'm saying. Yeah, which it shouldn't be because Calgary is much better. And when Calgary wants to, like we saw in the third period the other night, the stars just don't have enough to keep up with them. They just don't We're have. Not, it. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, not about the stars, but about something else, and he was like, "Oh, you know, good. Everything's equal in pros. It's just talent." I go, "Nah, man." But I was like, this situation where. If Calgary plays his best, then there's no contest, I think. But if Calgary plays anything less and the Stars play one of their better games, then there are opportunities for them to win, in addition to the puck being a funny thing if you just hang tight. Yeah, and in reality of it is, and we talked about this before the series, I mean, Calgary just has more depth. They have more scoring. It hasn't been as obvious, but now they come back last night, they win it, and they're up three to two, and and I kind I almost wonder if the stars just ran out of gas last night, and and they just might not have anything else. And this is where okay, Jamie Ben, I get it, you're older, but you're the captain, and and you've got to find a way on home ice to pull a rabbit out of the hat and give us something more than what we've seen. And I, I have a hard time believing Calgary doesn't just close us out because now it's in their grasp. They've won two games in a row. They've been the better team. For, at least for four out of the last six periods. And, and quite honestly, I think they're aware that if Ottinger wasn't the Stars goalie, the series would have been over already. Dude, I think um, they're very well aware of that. And, yeah, you wish uh, Ben could have buried that shot at uh, winning time right there. But I think we've, we've known all along they, they are, to me, exactly who they've been all season. Yeah. They've been a good team with one line that scores and no power play. <laughs> and, and what looks like an up-and-coming star goalie. And so if you look at the series, what have they been? They've been a good team with one line that's scoring, no power play, and a goalie who's looked like uh, he'll be a future star. Yeah, man. And, and you know, we talked about this a little bit on one of the podcasts in the last few days. They've got Robertson, who obviously is going to be the next big time. He's the next Jamie Benn, so to speak. I mean, he is going to be the next star of the Dallas Stars. I think that's obvious. You've got Miro Haskinen, who is is going to be that next defensive star and already is. So you've got that little core to build around and, and some of the other guys that are young and some of the guys like Delandria, Harley that they have in the system that should be ready to go next year. But it's interesting because, you know, Bob Sturm, who we worked with at the ticket and who used to work for the Stars for years and years and, and did their pre and post game and, and was on TV with them and stuff. Bob had a series of tweets today, and and I thought he was dead on. And, and you look at a team that really went for it all, and it it didn't happen. And now they're dealing with the aftermath of when you do go for it, and you've got Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and, and Alexander Radulov, 
who are all over 30 years old now, and they take up literally one third of your salary cap. And the best of them this year was Jamie Benn, who finished 140th in the NHL in scoring. Sagan was worth, Radulov was like 350 something. You can't have that much money wrapped up in that lack of production and, and really feel like you have a ceiling that can get you anywhere. And so now the case is, the problem becomes, Radulov is off the books this offseason. Maybe you can move Ben or Sagan, but the reality of it is Tyler Sagan has five more seasons at 9.8 per year. Jamie Ben has three more seasons at 9.5 per year. Sagan turns 31 next year. Ben turns 33 this summer. And then Ben Bishop, who they went after, who hadn't played in a couple of years, he has one more year left on his contract at $5 million next year. I think it's a... um... Ben looks like an old 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Sagan look like an old 31? He has come back around a little bit, but not not anywhere near what he was before. And, and, you know, that's the problem. Like, say you can trade Sagan and somebody's willing to take him. Well, then how are you going to replace him? And you're still stuck with another three years of Jamie Ben. This is what happens when you go for it. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's almost uh, like a lesson of, and- okay invest in but, it all and you got to run to the cup finals out of it yeah but you want them to go for it i mean you want to be like the mavericks feel like they got a chance to go for it and break it up you, when you have a yeah. chance to go for it when you have a window when you have a team that can compete then you roll it because if you hit it's a decade-long celebration yeah it is and and they didn't hit and now they're stuck with some questions and you know you you wonder it, it set it back a little bit and i think that's obvious but we'll see what happens moving forward. At least Radulov, you get him off the books. And again, like I said, I think there's a lot of thought out there that they may try. I don't know if you can move Jamie Benn being 33. He's your captain. But could you move Tyler Sagan? I, that contract, I, we'll see. It's going to be a very, very interesting offseason for the Dallas Stars. Whenever it begins, very well likely could begin here in a couple of days. I I. I I don't think they're beating Calgary two games in a row to close out this series. No, nah, but I don't mind them losing in seven in Calgary. That's no, that'd be fine, and it'd be fun. Game sevens are always fun, and the more playoff hockey we can get, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm a big fan. True that. And so the other thing to get into, and we'll have uh, an in-depth conversation a little bit more so on this, but the Cowboys schedule released. And what, what's always interesting to me about the NFL is how they pump this up so big when we already all know the 17 teams the Cowboys are going to play, it's just a matter of when are they going to play them, what games will be Sunday night, what, what's going to be the Monday night game, what's going to be the Thursday night football game on Amazon, because we already know this for a fact. Six of their games are against the NFC East. Four of their games are against the NFC North. Four of their games are against the AFC South. That is 14 games right there. The other three games that they will play, they play two against division winners from the NFC, that's Tampa and Los Angeles, and they play one against a division winner in the AFC, that's Cincinnati. Those are the 17 teams. So we, we kind of had an idea of who the Cowboys were already going to play. Like, like, we knew all of that. Well, the NFL schedule released tonight as we record this late at night, and you look at this, and I got to say, man, this is a very interesting beginning of the season for the Dallas Cowboys because we now know that they will officially open the season on Sunday, September 11th, Sunday night football at AT AT&T Stadium against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What's interesting about this is they didn't turn around. I think Todd Archer had the note for the first time since 1990. They are starting the season with back-to-back home games, and I'm glad the NFL gave them back-to-back home games because their first two games of the season are against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, and they turn around the very next week and play the defending AFC champions and Joe Burrow with the Cincinnati Bengals coming to town. You better come out of training camp ready to play, fellas. That's all I can say. You better have a defense ready and that offense prepared to score some points uh, because that's a tough stretch to start the season, man. Yeah, that, that, that is right. Todd Archer, our buddy, tweeted it out. First time since 1990, the Cowboys have had two home games scheduled to open the year. They were supposed to have it in 2001, but were postponed due to the 9-11 attacks, so that didn't happen. But, man, that's, that's kind of a weird scheduling quirk there. The good news is after you start with those two games, you then go to New York to play the Giants. You're then home against Washington. And then two tough road trips back-to-back early on. 
starting in mid-October there, October 9th, you go Sunday afternoon to play LA, the Super Bowl champions. And then the very next Sunday, you're up in Philadelphia against a team on a Sunday night football that a lot of us think are going to be a much improved Philadelphia. So you look at it to me, that opening stretch of six games right there, I mean, if, if you're not ready to roll, I mean, you can make a case two and four, three and three, and you hope you can get out of that first six weeks at four and two. Now, I think four and two, five and one is is a target. That's uh, that means your season's off to a good start. That means you have survived early, and uh, you know because Lee didn't do you any favors with uh, Brady, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and your boy Burrow to start the season. The good thing is you do have him at the crib, uh, so there's an opportunity there. I think three and one is a possibility there, um, but again, they're still putting their team together. We don't know who's uh, you know how it's looking now which is why predictions are always weird. But I got to tell you that uh, the schedule record-wise is one of the softest in the league. But when you look at how it's put together with the two trips where they've got three out of four games on the road, including the end of season, uh, that thing can get dicey, bro. It can get dicey, and the reality of it is, I mean, again, in your first five games of the season, you're playing Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, and Matt Stafford. Yeah, so that means Dak Prescott's got to come to play. Uh, because those are some of the best quarterbacks in the league. That gives you an advantage to quarterback most weeks, but in those, he may or may not have the advantage. Yeah, and, and obviously you got to go to Green Bay, and people were making a big deal out of that. Mike McCarthy on November 13th, his first trip back to Lambeau since becoming coach of the Cowboys, so you're playing Aaron Rodgers. You, you get that back-to-back trip where you go Green Bay and then Minnesota, and Minnesota doesn't suck. Minnesota's got if, – if everybody's healthy at Minnesota, they've got some weapons and are more than capable of putting up some points on you. You do kind of have, before you go into the back part of the season, it's interesting to me because you look at three out of the final five games, you have Houston at home, they're going to suck. You go on the road at Jacksonville, and, and nobody knows what to make of Jacksonville. All the signings they have. You've got a new coach. Is Trevor Lawrence going to blossom in year two? We'll see. And then you close the season at Washington, but you also have Philadelphia in what could be a very tough late season, short week, Thursday night game on the road against the Tennessee Titans, who had the number one seed in the AFC last year and went 12-5. and five. Yeah, you know, Derrick King, Derrick Henry may be there, so... That's a bad team to have to bang against on a short week. It is a bad team to have to bang against on a short week. And that's their Thursday. It's a weird scheduling theme because we had become so accustomed to the Cowboys playing Thursday of Thanksgiving and then playing the very next Thursday night so that they would have back-to-back Thursday games. The NFL did not do that for them this year. They play on Thanksgiving, and they play the Giants at home on Thanksgiving. The first time they've played the Giants on Thanksgiving since 1992 They then have the full extended bye and don't play again until December 4th. And then that next Thursday game, as we just mentioned, the Amazon Prime video game on that Thursday night is is kind of interesting there. And then they'll have another long extended vacation before they play Washington to close the season. Everybody is saying record-wise, the Cowboys and the teams they play, it's the easiest schedule based on last year's win percentage. I always have a hard time buying into that a lot when you do that because of the fact that NFL rosters turn over so much. And in any given year of the teams that make the playoffs, half of them are going to be teams that weren't in the playoffs last year that are doing much better. Well, one reason such a soft schedule is the NFC East stunk and the AFC South stunk. Right. Uh, And you've got Houston over there and you got Jacksonville over there, two of the worst teams in the league. And then you add the Giants and Washington, two of the worst teams in the league. And that gives you, what is that, two, four, six games against some of the worst teams in the league. And the uh, and you play the NFC North this year because you get Detroit and Chicago. <laughs> right, a couple other bad teams. And so the opportunity to feast is there. But, you know, again, we've said all offseason, this Cowboys team is not as good as last year. So I don't know that as if we sit here right now, they could look down their nose at anybody and talk about, oh, there's a dub for us. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to do that at this point. I mean, you can look at some of these teams. I mean, obviously, we all would imagine that that Houston and Jacksonville, Detroit, you should be able to pick up wins. Part of it, as you just talked about, even being in your own division, because of the fact that you get to play Washington and New York, you can kind of piece this together. Say you split with Philly, you can go 5-1 and one in the NFC East. You pick up those two wins against the bad teams there. I mean, it's easy to sit here and say you should be no worse than 9-8. and eight. 
And then oh, if, well, if you yeah. can pick up some other wins, I, I think this is probably an 11-6 and six season, which might be good enough to, to still win the NFC East for and break that streak of nobody doing it for like almost 20 years. They were 12-5 and five last year, and even with the, what is perceived to be an easier schedule, I think you can look at this and say 11-6 and six is a realistic goal. Yeah, I would say right now I'm sitting more at a at a ten and seven mark, because um, they just have so many holes and so much lack of depth that I'm. Uh, I'd say right now I'm, I'm concerned about that quality depth in the, in several spots, and we know it's a game of injuries and attrition, and to me at some point that'll bite them. Yeah, it it, it very well may, but. The NFL schedule, always exciting. I did think it was interesting. This is one of those weird, quirky scheduling things that absolutely just blew my mind. You know, they always talk about the how, the teams that have to travel and they go a lot of different places and whatnot. And right. we saw that with, I think it's the Seattle Seahawks or maybe it's Denver, I can't remember which, that has to travel the most this year. But the team that travels the least, and this, I, I don't even know how this is possible. The Pittsburgh Steelers travel the least in 2022 and they will travel just 6,442 miles over their 17 games. The thing that really blows my mind, they do not play a single game outside of the Eastern time zone all season. How is that possible? (laughs) You got the hookup. No, I think it's just uh, some of it. I think it's just the luck of the draw in terms of what division that they're playing this year in terms of um, not just the uh, the NFC East, but the other one that they got in the South. And then when you look at it, man, there's never a lot of travel within their division. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's true. And it's it's one of those things. I, got, I mean, yeah, but it's still, I mean, just to think that a team would not ever have to play out of, a, uh, out of its own time zone, is I, that's... That's just really, really wild to me, man. It's really, and part of it is because like they get New Orleans at home, uh, they right. they get I, Seattle. I think that they play lots well, of preseason game. I was trying to see, yeah, it's just they get Las Vegas at home, so it's just I, I don't know. It's just one of those weird scheduling quirks where they barely have to do anything, and their bodies never have to adjust to anything other than the Eastern Time Zone that they're already in. I say it's a win for them. And a lucky break, and uh, these are the kind of things that can help you win games, uh, you know, and end up winning the division. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, let's be honest. Nobody, like at this point, and this is what some of those things, but when you look at schedule strength, like if we were doing this a year ago, we would have looked at Cincinnati and be like, okay, they get Cincinnati at home, Burrow, I mean, how good is he? He's still a young quarterback. He's still good, but they should. And then Cincinnati goes to the Super Bowl, and now all of a sudden everybody looks at Cincinnati. He's like, oh, watch out for them. Yeah, so, that's a hell of a game. Right. I mean, there's going to be teams that you look at on this schedule, and Tennessee may be one of those teams. You know, Does Tennessee fall back from what they've been the last couple of years? Is Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry still going to be able to keep things going out there with no A.J. Brown? I mean, it, it's – I don't know, man. There, there's some of these games where you look at it, and it's so hard to predict who's going to be good on an annual basis outside of teams that have Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Dude. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, man. The the schedules. What is it that the uh, the rosters turn over so much? Yeah. I mean, look at the, look at how much the Cowboys roster is going to turn over. Yeah. Man. Even that's going to be at like, you know, thirty five to fifty five, fifty percent, which is basically half your team. And so it's incredibly hard to figure out from year to year, uh, whose team is good aside from the coach and the core. Uh, if you can figure that out, you got a good chance. But uh, it's it's hard. I mean, think about it, man. That's one of the reasons, just one of them, that the Cowboys have had a hard time putting back-to-back 10-win seasons together or consecutive playoff appearances because at a certain point, your team is moving so much every year, it's hard to predict these things. Yeah, it is. Very, very true. So, again, I do think just because of the quarterbacking situations in Houston, Jacksonville, Chicago, and Detroit, that that you kind of might have caught a break, the fact that those are that you had to play the NFC North and the AFC South this year. And we'll see how it ends up playing out throughout the course of the season. But that's the schedule for the Cowboys this year. And just off the top of my head, I have 11 and 6, and Jacques has 10 and 7. And we reserve the right to change that. I mean, let's get through training camp at least. Can we do that? Yeah, please. Can we go to training camp and see what the hell this team is going to fully look like when they emerge from camp? <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> yeah, no. 
I mean, we were, we reserve the right to change that. We'll be back with you on Sunday. We'll have another one, and or I guess next Monday is when you guys will listen to it. We'll, we'll be here right after the Mavs game, see how they turn out. Game 7 in Phoenix on Sunday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.